Man, what a, it's great to see a, a lot of folks in here tonight. And uh, I'm thankful, I'm always thankful for the band who has talents that I could never imagine because I can't play anything but like the radio. But to have half the band not be able to show up and still have the music that good is, is pretty amazing. So I'm grateful for the time they put in and, and how, uh, how well they lead us. Um, I know we've got folks that are kind of jumping in in the middle of what is a series, uh, but I think the good news for you is that uh, today should stand on its own. Uh, but we are in the midst of a series at Ecclesia in which we are talking about our church practices. In other words, why we do the things we do. Um, we've, you know, baptism, meeting together on Sunday nights. Tonight we'll talk about child dedication and, and, and blessing children and why that is a part of what we do. And so um, we're going to continue that series tonight, again, talking about this idea of, of blessing children. And I'm very grateful uh, last week to have had a, a week off and, and, and get to sit out here and enjoy uh, someone else talking, which was great. Um, and so thank you to Colby for sharing about baptism. Uh, and it was, um, while we all sat down and kind of talked about this series a little bit, uh, I just, I was kind of blown away at how well last week really set up what we will talk about. Real, honestly, not just this week, but moving forward throughout the practice series and if you weren't able to be here last week, I hope you will tune in via Facebook or podcast or whatever to catch up on that talk. Uh, she, she did a great job talking to us about uh, baptism and baptism as this public claiming of the truth that uh, you belong, you are beloved, and you are enough. And uh, what, what a great refrain to keep uh, in the front of our heads and hearts. And uh, it really is uh, the thing that uh, th- there won't be anything we talk about in this practice series that is not rooted in some way in those truths, including tonight. Um, and tonight, again, we're going to talk about kind of the dedication of children, blessing children, and, that, and why do we do it? And that may not seem like a very good question to you, because after all, why wouldn't you? Who doesn't like cute babies. Why wouldn't we parade them around the room every once in a while for everyone to look at and ooh and awe? It's a great idea. We all love that, right? Um, I do. I am, uh, it would be manlier if my social media feeds uh, were filled with uh, sports and like MMA knockouts or something like that. Um, but we all know that the social media has algorithms, right? They, they, they see what you linger on or what you look at, and then they feed you more of that. And if you got on uh, my, uh, my like, Instagram right now and saw the stuff they suggested, it's, it's pretty much all cute and funny kid stuff. It's all like babies and little kids. It's not macho at all. Um, and, I mean, it, it's impressive the way people can punch each other, but a, a kid eating a lemon is just video gold as far as I'm concerned, and I would like to watch that over and over again, and it makes me laugh. And so uh, I, like most people I feel like in our culture, uh, at least know to pretend uh, to have some kind of reverence for kids and how sweet they are and how pure they are and how great they are. And so it may seem like a weird idea to us that we would even have the conversation. Uh, and it also may seem, as we read the verse tonight, uh, strange that the disciples seem like such, uh, I think the biblical word would be jerks. Because here's these people bringing uh, their children to a rabbi to have them blessed, which is something that would have been typical back then. And the disciples are like saying, no, get away. We don't have time for this, right? And it may have been the end of a very long day. Obviously, you know, Jesus is kind of traveling around and it's not, not easy, the work they're doing. And so, uh, it, but it still, it seems like, it seems just kind of like the disciples are kind of jerks. But you have to understand as we read through this tonight that uh, Jesus' position of saying, you know, let the children come to me, let me bless them, you should be like the children, all these things, that is a minority position to have in that culture and in that time, okay? Um, the context of that religious culture uh, really reflects the disciples' attitude more so than Jesus. 
right? Uh, so in synagogue worship and temple worship for, for uh, Judaism at that time, which of course is the, the world that they're in, uh, adult men had full participation in everything that was going on. They partook in everything. Uh, adult women had limited participation. There were certain parts of the temple grounds they could go to. There were certain parts of the worship that they participated in, but they were by no means full members of the kind of the religious community and did not get to practice everything everyone else practiced. And then you get down, kind of if you're moving down the uh, totem pole, right, maybe it's up, I think the, anyways, uh, I think the way we say that is opposite. The lowest one on the totem pole is actually the most important. Okay, no one knows that? Okay, I just, let's, let's say that's true. Yes, amen? Uh, that's true? Okay, thank you. I felt like I had a little piece of knowledge and then I realized I said it and I didn't investigate it, so, you know, but far be that <laughs> to keep me from saying something out loud, not knowing the actual truth about it. Um, anyways, and, and so, but like boys under 13, you know, who were not considered men yet, and young women and uh, female children had no participation, right? They did not have a role in the religious life or in the religious practice of things back then. And so if you're traveling with a rabbi, you're traveling with someone important, uh, to go and bless the kids, it may be a very nice thing, but it's kind of a waste of time, Right? And so that's, that's where the disciples are coming from on this. What Jesus says and what Jesus teaches here is very much out of step. In fact, it's the early Christian church that begins to invite every part of the family and all different kinds of family, and slave and free and male and female and all these kind of things, to participate together. That's, that's a novel thing that happens in the early Christian church and one of the things that gets them in trouble. But I want to I think about tonight what it is that Jesus is really telling us here. Because he doesn't really unpack it much. But I think there's, a, there's an important reason why you have two stories kind of mushed together here and, and they say something. Let, let's go start reading through now. Matthew 19, let's look at 13 through 15. First, it says this. Then little children were being brought to him in order that he may lay hands on them and pray. The disciples spoke sternly to those who brought them. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not stop them. For it is such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. And he laid hands on them and he went on his way. So not only does Jesus say, it's okay, I can make time for them. Jesus prioritizes them. Jesus tells the disciples who don't want to waste this time that they should be more like these children. Jesus uses the children as an example of what everyone should strive to be. He doesn't just tolerate them. He highlights them. He uplifts them. Why? What is it about children that Jesus wants us to imitate? What really makes a child fundamentally different from most of us as adults? And you're already making a list in your head, just like I could right off the top of my head, right? Uh, we, we all know that children are more honest than adults, like alarmingly, disturbingly honest. Every parent has got a treasure trove of great stories. Lillian said to me yesterday, why are those hairs on your head like gray colored? Not look how handsome you are, Daddy, none of those. To which I responded, I don't know, none of them were there until you came around, Lillian. So you have to do that math yourself. My, my mom used to tell the story of her getting ready in the mirror, and I was young enough that I had to stay in the room with her, and I was watching her put on makeup, and I said, Mommy, what are you putting on your face? And she said, this is makeup. It's makeup because Mama's face is a mess. And I, as a beautiful, godly future preacher, looked at her, my mother, whom I love so much, and said, Mommy, your whole body's a mess. (laughs) 
kids are honest, right? They haven't learned how to gauge what they should or shouldn't say. They just, they just say what they're really thinking and really feeling. Is that what Jesus is talking about? That they're just kind of more honest and we don't live honest lives? Or is it because children are so open and, and so accepting, right? I mean, we, know now, we now know that like, you know, things like bigotry and hatred and all this kind of stuff, this is all learned behavior. You put a bunch of little kids out there and it doesn't matter what color their skin is, it doesn't matter what political party their parents voted for, it doesn't, none of that stuff matters, right? That's all learned. Is that the kind of thing, the way we've learned to divide ourselves as we get older and more advanced? Is that what Jesus is talking about? Is it honesty? Is it, is it the way they're open and they're accepting? Is it the way kids still hold space for magic and mystery in a way that adults do not? I remember when I, when I used to see a magic trick, it would blow my mind. There's nothing I wanted more than to know how to do that. I mean, it was magic. And now, I, I mean, I, and I, no offense if anyone, if you do this for a living, I'm really sorry you came on the wrong night, but like magicians annoy me now. Because I'm like, it's not real. Just, just what you, so where is there a string? What is it? Like, it's, I just, I, I, I've lost that, right? And I'll be honest, it was a lot more fun when I was a kid. The world's a lot more interesting <laughs> when there was still room for mystery and magic, right? Is that it? I don't know. What is it? Jesus doesn't say exactly what it is about these kids that we should be imitating. It's kind of a vague thing to say, be more childlike. What does that mean? And in a sense, I think all of those are correct because I think children's honesty and openness and willingness to believe all comes from the same kind of root place. And maybe if we keep reading in Scripture... Maybe the best way to understand what it is about children that was so worthy of imitation is to look at the next story. Because I think the next story is intended to act as like a foil to the children. Like what, you know, to put them against each other so you can see the difference. And the next story is what we've always called in the church the the rich young ruler. And, And it says this, starting in verse 16 of Matthew 19 here. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all these. Which has to be a lie. Unless he's just a lot better person than I am. I have kept all these. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away grieving for he had many possessions. The man went away grieving. He got to ask God a question. He got to ask the God of the universe the question that all of us wish we could ask the God of the universe. What am I supposed to do? And when Jesus answers him, he goes away grieving. And this young man has everything we all hope to get one day. He has material success. He has religious piety. He has social standing and, and, and self-assurance, enough to get up in front of everyone and ask this question boldly, right? This young man is who you pray your son will be one day when you're holding him as an infant. And functionally, Jesus tells him to get rid of everything that he's accumulated, to empty his hands, to free himself from that which he has acquired for security, self-assurance, self-determination. In other words, I would say, based on what comes before it, to become like a child again, disarmed, 
children are authentically human in a way that we as adults have learned to hide. That is what is so sacred and so scary about the first time you hold that newborn baby. You are forced to come to grips with this little, raw, vulnerable, dependent, needy thing. And they're going to send them home with you without instructions. All you have to know how to do is buckle the car seat correctly. Which I didn't, and they had to show me. So I failed from step one. You're facing humanity, unarmed, defenseless, honest. And it is alarming and it is disturbing because we have convinced ourselves that we are something other than that. In fact, if you think about it through that lens, much of what we call growing up is just gathering the tools to pretend we aren't those little vulnerable things anymore. To alleviate our own awareness of vulnerability, dependence, finitude. One of the more difficult things about being a parent is watching your child grow up in this way. Because you're torn. I'm torn. I've got a seven-year-old daughter who wants to be 19 right now. Way too much boyfriend talk going on in her house right now. Meaning it's been said at least once. It's too much as far as I'm concerned. But I, I want her to grow up. I, in some ways, I want her to uh, be protected and prepared. I want her to be able to see the world for what it is and, and, and deal with it for what it is because this world can be unrelenting and it can be dangerous sometimes. And so I want her to grow up in some ways and not be naive. But it also hurts to watch them learn how to gather the tools to do this stuff, right? Because you feel like there's this loss of innocence, right? It grieves me to watch her learn to pretend to not be hurt when she is. Or to act like something I know she doesn't really feel. It gets hard to watch them to pretend to be more grown, more independent, more knowledgeable than they really are. Right? It's kind of bad news when the magic stops a little bit. Right? We'll call it the death of childhood, right? Because it feels like a death. In a sense, growing up means that we are becoming increasingly more effective at hiding. Hiding who we are, what we are, how dependent we really are. So much of our growing up is about learning new ways to impress people, to make people feel like we are more than we are, more independent than we are, more self-sufficient than we are, even when it's not true. And deep inside, you and I are still that little kid and we know it. Now you would rightfully look at me a little bit strangely if I was carrying, when I I had a balloon on a string outside and I accidentally let the string go and the balloon floated away and I wept openly about it, like my kids do every live at five at least three times. Because I'm grown. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not affected like that anymore. I have, I, I, I'm stronger than that. We're not children. But then go ahead and tell us that we need to stay home for a few months or start wearing a mask in the grocery store and you will start seeing some balloon tantrums real quick from adults. Right? I threw a few of them myself. We will use bigger words. We'll have more well-formulated arguments. Sometimes, sometimes not so much. 
but it's the same impulse. And Jesus says, be like the child. Because again, what's so beautiful and disarming about holding that newborn baby is you hold someone who has nothing to offer but themselves. As a good parent, I think my children are somewhat exceptional. They're both going to be professional athletes, win science awards, all, all the above. They're just in, the world will never be the same because of those Dixon kids. And I know that because I'm a good father. But as it turns out, those babies that I held for the first time, um, they had no job, no way of paying for themselves, no talents, no good jokes, no anything. The hardest part about those first couple months is that you get no, you don't even get like acknowledgement back, right? They won't even lock eyes with you. They've got nothing to offer but themselves. They're messy, vulnerable, dependent selves. Which, as it turns out, is all Christ is interested in from us in the first place. All God wants from us is our vulnerable, messy, dependent selves. As it turns out, we can't receive the kingdom of God while we're carrying anything else. It's just too much to hold if our hands aren't empty. We come as children with nothing but ourselves, or we don't come at all. We approach God as vulnerable, needy, dependent little people, or we don't truly approach unconditional love. I think it's mostly just about having the courage and insight to be authentic and honest about who we are. I don't think the rich young ruler would earn a place in the kingdom of God because he paid enough out and generously gave everything away. He would have just been able to finally own up to what was already true about him if he had given it all away. Because he would have been left without all the things that he used to fool himself into thinking he was something he wasn't. We come as children or we don't come at all. The truth is none of us are as grown up or as as accomplished or as self-sufficient as we like to pretend we are. I've had a couple of deeply sacred experiences in the last two years. I've been able to witness life coming into this world and I've been able to witness life leaving it. I'm not interested too much in unpacking a lot of that right now in front of everyone, but suffice to say, we leave as we come in. And I know we spend most of our lives trying to pretend that that's not true, but it is. And I don't know if it's genuine faith if we can't own that. We leave as we come in, unable to pretend to be anything other than what we have been the whole time, dependent, vulnerable human beings who need God's grace, rooted entirely in the grace of God and love of God which precedes us in this world. That is who we are. And all that we gather throughout our lives to help pretend otherwise, it all needs to be laid down at the kingdom's gates if we want to walk through. And I know uh, that can be a disturbing thought. And I know we do everything we can to avoid the truth of that idea. 
if I just exercise a couple more times a week, if I can just get a six-pack back, then somehow that won't be true of me anymore, right? We've convinced ourselves that it's bad news. And I'm here to tell you it is not. It is not bad news. No more so than that newborn baby coming into this world. Because we cannot forget the good news, again, that we were reminded of last week. You belong. You are beloved. You are enough as you are, as a messy, vulnerable, dependent child. That's all you need with unconditional love. And that is news to celebrate. That is why we bless children. To remind ourselves once again that really we are all kids. We are all God's kids because we want to demonstrate God's unconditional love to those who have only themselves to offer. Because we want to remember who we really are and how good God really is. And in the same way we remember our own baptism when another goes below those waters, tonight we remember who we really are and how we are truly loved when we bless these children. We remember that we leave this world as we come to this world, as we always have been in this world, held in God's loving hands with nothing to offer but ourselves. And that's enough, and that's good news. Let's pray.